Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my gray-bearded co-host alongside me, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. How you doing tonight, Elliot? I am pumped up and ready to go. My, I, 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 I kind of hinted around. Well, I didn't hint around. I told you how obsessive I am mentally when I'm excited about things. And I am in full-on go, blue-wing teal mode. I'm just losing my mind. I'm taking like getting up at four o'clock and driving four hours just to scout. I am off off the hook, man. I am. I've lost it. Awesome. I, I'm the same way. Um, maybe not as crazy as you because I, I didn't drive four hours to scout, even though that's how far uh, my till opener is going to be. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think I could do it, man. Maybe maybe I should have um, probably would have resulted in a better till opener. Uh, but I didn't, so there's nothing I can do about it now. But this this podcast is actually going to come out the second, which will be September 1st, the inaugural. There you go with that word again. The opening of of <laughs> hunting season because uh, we got dove opener, we got teal opener, some places we got early goose opening. Um, but yeah, it is finally, finally, it's finally here. <laughs> yep, Georgie's first hunt is September. Fifth in Nebraska. It's on the calendar. And how many days is that from now? From from when we're recording this, that's like seven. Let's say about ten days. Yep, ten days. Oh man! And I'll tell you, I got some scouting reports from Ben up there in Nebraska, and the reports were favorable. So Fumbles and I are getting out there, going to hit the Nebraska opener, which I didn't think was going to happen. The power of this podcast. After we, after I asked, after I like shamelessly, like, please, someone take me to honey. <laughs> Luckily enough, Ben contacted me and it's happening. It's happening. Awesome. So, man. Yeah. No, good for you. That's uh, going to be really cool. Um, so I, it's, you said Fumbles is going with you too? Yep. It's uh, Fumbles and I and Ben and Georgie and Ben's dog. Nice. That'd be a good one. So I'll, I'll be really looking forward to those videos. Georgie, the superstar. We'll see. We'll see. I got the banded um, dog stand coming in just in time because I busted up Titus's dog stand in the training process. <laughs> and uh, the birds are there. And I think it's all I think it's all set. Then the weekend after that is the Kansas Steel opener. So, I mean, I can't I, I'm struggling to not think about it every second of my life because <laughs> I want times where I can, like, not think about it for a while and <laughs> think about some yeah. other things. But I'm struggling. I'm struggling. See, I don't. Yeah, we. I'm. I feel like I'm so busy. I can't even think about it. I'm. I keep every time I see the date. I'm like, holy crap, it's gonna be here. Um, and I'm not gonna be ready yet. Like it's like I, I need. I need to drop everything and like focus in on like you know hyper focus on it so I can can uh, think of how to prepare for it. But uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm just so busy right now that I I can't even focus on it for a second. <laughs> so it's almost well, when like, you say you're not ready, what do you mean you're not ready? 
Um, as far as like uh like getting everything prepped, like you know, putting my decoys out and you know getting all the the clothes out, the the camo out, my waders, everything just like ready to go. You know what I mean? Like actually yeah. ready to go. Uh, it just feels like it's coming so fast, which I'm glad it is. I will be glad it is when it is here. I just feel like that's what I'm trying to say. I'm just so busy that it's uh, <laughs> um, feels overwhelming a little bit. Almost, yeah. I, I feel like it's going to sneak up on me because it's a week and a half away. <laughs> yeah, you saw the video I put out where I showed off my new duck shed, didn't you? Yep. Yep. That thing is so. I have never ever had my hunting supplies more organized in my life. I mean, everything. <laughs> The waders are hung on the wall. The decoys, the teal decoys are all together. I mean, I could go out and have my teal hunting gear packed up in less than a half hour. I mean, that's, I can't even imagine half an hour, probably 15 minutes. You should, uh, and you need to get a heater for that room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to order lights. I keep forgetting to do that because I'm using solar lights in there. I don't have electricity in there yet. So. It'll be fine because I mean I'll, I'll 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 clean ducks out there, but you know, it'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. No, I just feel like the last thing that thing needs. If you got a heater in there, you know, you go in there in the winter, it's all cold. Clean up your ducks in a little warmth. Mm-hmm. Well, what I would like is a heater, and then a running water. So when I clean the ducks, I've got a sink there, and then that would be just ideal. To have those things, or maybe even like a a wood burning stove and some cots. <laughs> yeah, you can just cook your duck in there and everything. Take off. Well, just be, I'm always waking around. my wife up when I get early, so I just sleep in there the night before. <laughs> there you go. Who are you kidding? You wouldn't be sleeping. You'd just be daydreaming there. I know. I know. So the scouting trip I took last weekend, I was talking to Matt. And are texting back and forth with him. And he's like, man, there's a lot of birds here right now. And there's things in that, in, at that place that I wanted to see. And since the whole COVID thing, uh, normally when I go out there to hunt the opening weekend of Kansas, I have the whole Friday to scout because I take it off. But I couldn't scout. I could not scout this week or that, or that Friday before this time. And so I'm like, if I'm going to scout this at all, it's going to have to happen, you know, now so um and there's the 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 area is so much different they've done a lot of renovations so the area is so much different now that it's not like my normal a lot of places are not like how they normally look so that's why it's like and fumbles let's race down there let's get our boats in the marsh let's see some teal and it was it was by far it was the first scouting trip i've had that felt like even though it's kind of hot there was a wind blowing and it was so enjoyable to be in the kayaks out in these huge cattail pools with smart weed around and saw some teal here and there and found some, some pools. It was worth every bit of seven hours of driving that day. Every second of it. Yeah. Yeah. Not here. Yeah. Um, I almost wish that I would have made the, the trip now hearing you talk about it and, and checking out um, where I'm going to hunt. But <laughs> there's always, yeah. I guess at this point there's always next year because I got plans this weekend with a wife, so I will not be able to do any of that type of scouting. Um, but yeah, uh, I just remembered too that I, I forgot to finish your video on that hunt, so now I need to go back and or not hunt, but that scout. So I need to go um, finish it because I know you you showed a clip. You actually texted the video of it um, 
to me and and you know there's a bunch of teal so mm-hmm. on your scout so i need to go watch the video so i can see the you know you guys finding it and all that yeah yeah well that was just a little tail end section at the end uh and um it was great seeing those birds i mean they were packed in there tight I don't know how many were in there, but they were packed in that little hole like crazy. So now I've got, now I'm just completely obsessing about where are we going to set up on that opener? Cause I could go for that, that little hole where all those teal were, whoever, whoever gets that little hole where those teal were are going to limit out within like, they could stand there and let the teal knock themselves out, banging into their head and probably limit out. I mean, there's going to be so many teal knots. So I'm not even going to try to go to that hole, honestly, because and I talk about it on the video. It's like, I want, we're, I don't just want to shoot a limit. We want to shoot a limit and not feel completely crowded in. And we want to do that on an opener. So th- those are really difficult things to not be crowded in on an opener and, and shoot a limit. So we're trying to kind of come up with the options of where do we think we can limit, but still be off by ourselves. And that, that, that becomes the difficult task <laughs> for sure. Man, must be nice. I think we can get it done. I've got a plan. I've got, I've got this whole plan set up of how to go about doing it um, and holding this place down and making sure I say making sure no, not to there. There's one section where there's only one entryway with boats and it's not a huge section. So I thought we would get in there early and set up right on that little entryway. And if anyone else comes and tries to get in there, talk to them and try to coordinate with them. Cause if two groups got into this area and everyone had flashlights, you could probably keep any of the other groups from coming into it just because they'd roll up and see six flashlights and, you know, three kayaks and a different group. And, and, and so, um, if it was just us and one other group in this area, it would feel really, it would, it wouldn't feel crowded at all. So I think that's probably the way to go. Nice. About dealing with it. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, pretty jealous hearing you talk about it, but <laughs> I didn't have the vacation days this year to make it out there. But you know, I'll I'll definitely uh, be back um, for redemption on on the teal hunting someday. <laughs> yeah, well, the habitat is it's it's not perfect because there was a flood came through um, a few weeks ago, but it's way better than it was last year for sure. Awesome. Well. You know, um, I guess I'll, I'll give a little update on what my my plans will be for opening weekend. So I, I'll be—I think I've said this before, but I'll, I'll be trying to get on some dove here locally. Um, and then for that first weekend that I can actually hunt, I'm going up to Michigan, um, and I believe Kevin from Michigan, one of the Michigan boys, is going to be hunting with me all weekend. I probably need to call him so we can finalize some of our plans, but. Um, but we're just going to be shooting from the hip and, you know, I, I got a lot of options, different ideas and, and he does too. Um, but whatever it is, it's just going to involve us either teal hunting or goose hunting, um, for the early season in Michigan. I'm super excited for it. But, um, today's episode, we're going to be talking all about teal hunting, teal hunting. Um, so stay tuned for that. going to be a good one. Um, but before that, let's get a quick word for, a quick word, rather, from our partners, and we'll jump right into it. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks out to HDR Innovations. Um, guys, talking about these early season hunts, a lot of these marsh hunts and teal hunts, the perfect product for that 
is the HTR gun stand. Um, Just put it right there in front of you in the mud. It keeps your gun out of the water, your shells out of the water, your blind bag, everything. You can put it right on that, the HTR marsh stand. Um, And for me, then I I sit on a marsh stool right behind it. American-made product. It's super lightweight, aluminum, um, and they've been going like hot, like hot cakes here recently. Um, I know it because a lot of you guys have been getting them too. So definitely check that out. HTR innovations use code DuckGun10 at checkout for 10% off. Another partner I want to talk to you about is motion ducks and it is a new motion system. It's like a jerk rig, except it's to the next level. It's like jerk rig 2.0 and It's a four duck to seven duck decoy spreader system. It's very easy to carry in, very easy to carry out, much less tangles than with a traditional jerk rig and looks a lot better than a traditional jerk. In fact, I just had someone contact me on Instagram today asking me about it. And they're like, you know, I want to use this in a river. And do you think this will hold up in a river? And, and yeah, it'll, it'll do, it'll hold up anywhere that a traditional jerk wig jerk rig will hold up and it's just taking it to the next level. I've talked about it before. If you get this seven duck spreader system and you've got a wind at about two miles an hour or below five miles an hour, I suggest you go only with that seven duck spreader system and just have motion. And you're going to do much better than these big spreads with no motion. That's a really viable way to, to attack a no win situation. And it's just going to look so much more realistic than your traditional jerk rig system where you have them all lined up in a row. So it's a great product. Product code is all caps duck gun 2020. Awesome. 10% off and free shipping on that as well. Uh, also, you. we'd like to give a big thanks out to Avery banded and Greenhead gear. Um, you know, coming into season, there is uh, everything you could think of to buy over there. They got decoys, they got clothes, waders, um, all things waterfowl. Uh, you know, Elliot and I both are running the Red Zone 2.0s. I'm running some Red Point 2.0 Elites. I know I'm making Elliot super jealous every mm-hmm. time he sees me wearing them. Um, wow. <laughs> and you look sexy in those pants. Well, <laughs> you're not my wife, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> well, that, your wife texted me and told me that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so uh, definitely, you know, check out everything they got over, going on over there. Elliot and I have been running their gear for the past year and been loving all of it. So um, check them out at banded.com. And I'm hooking Georgie up the guns, the dog stand and a neoprene dog vest. that says banded on the side. I showed her the picture. She's pumped. I cannot <laughs> wait to get that. I cannot wait to have that in my hand. Uh, the last part I want to talk to you about is finisher. And it is a way for you to dispatch birds quickly and cleanly and humanely. It's just a little metal tool that goes right into the back of the skull. And, you know, we respect and love these animals that we pursue and harvest, and we want to dispatch them quickly and cleanly. And it is the way to do that. Um, Product code for that is DuckGun15, no spaces. And you can find them on their website, adrenal-line.com. Or I'm sure if you just Google search finisher, you can probably... um, Find it that way as well. It's a great tool. Be watching our videos because we're going to um, show these and, and us using them. And I, honestly, I've, I've seen them. I've never actually used one. So I'm excited to to try that out, especially on geese. Geese are very difficult to dispatch properly. Definitely. Uh, and the, the promo code on that one is DuckGun15. And uh, lastly, 
we'd like to give a big thanks out to our partners at Gunner Kennels, American-made dog box. It is roto-molded, um, and that is their patent on that. Um, that's why they are you know, beyond the other dog box manufacturers. That double-wall roto-molded gives it more strength than anything um, that it can compare to. Uh, they've even shot it with a, a shotgun at 12 paces with no pellet penetration. Um, we've seen the testimonials of people who've been in accidents, and it's just crazy what this thing can go through. It's an absolute tank. It's a once, you know, a one-time purchase on this um, because it's just gonna. It's, it's literally built to last. Um, so we definitely take a lot of time and investment in our dogs. And what is it? Just a little bit to you know pay for the best in dog kennels to protect them from getting to point A to point B. So definitely check them out. Um, use code gun 10 uh, for them as well for 10% off. And lastly, guys, uh, you know, I haven't said this one in a while, but I uh, definitely want to thank you guys, the viewers. Um, you guys are the backbone of the community here. Um, and, you know, we're at a halt, an all-time high for the number of downloads on the podcast, and we have you guys to thank for that um, word of mouth, just spreading it. Everything we do on here, growth is just organic. Um, and so we know you guys have been telling your buddies about the Duck Gun Podcast and sharing it out there, and we really appreciate it. Um, so cool to see this community grow, and, you know, uh, we really appreciate you guys. Uh, tune in with us week after week. All righty, let's go ahead and jump into today's podcast. So today's podcast, as we said, we're going to be talking all about till hunting. And Elliot, you're definitely obsessed with it, so I'm going to let you. Uh, you I'm going to let you start off. <laughs> let me start. Well, yeah, I, I am. I, I used to think of teal as kind of warm ups, and I always loved it, and I was always excited about it. But things have changed over the last 20 years. And with the spinners and teal calls and, and I believe teal decoys, blueing teal hunting has become a decoying sport where in 20 years ago it was a pass shooting sport. Um, and maybe part of that's just shot selection as well. So if you have the opportunity to get out and teal hunt, guys, um, you may not be blessed with the number of birds we have in the central flyway, but these are amazing birds in flight, amazing to watch. Some of their acrobatics and when they the way they move in unison as a flock and I, I remember, I'd say my the most memorable flock I ever had as I was hunting this little timber hole, and there was filled full of smartweed and it's probably about a hundred yards long. And my dad and I were sitting under this tree, and all of a sudden from over our back came about I don't know 30, 30 blue wing teal and they came down into the bowl, and they went clear to the end of the open water where the trees are and all of them in unison turned and, and, and came around. So they all banked and with their wings out. So I, we had a visual of all of those birds and their blue wing patches all at the same time. If I could have had old Phil Conkey with me at that time with his camera, that picture it's in my mind, that picture would be pure gold because when all of those blue wing teal bank at the same time, and you see both blue patches on the wings, it is a sight to see. So get out there and do it and be conservative with your shot selection. One mistake, and I'm going off the outline a little bit, but one mistake that I see guys making out teal hunting is that they're not patient enough. Blue wing teal like to fly and they don't work like mallards, but they like to work a pool. They're not just going to hop into a pool and go down. So if you're on the edge of a pool, and there's teal that are coming over you at 40 yards. Just wait, let them go. At least, at least let them go for a while to see what they're going to do. 
let them get in the pool and see and work around a little bit. And the shots you're going to end up getting are in the decoys versus 40 yards over your head. So let them work and see what they're going to do. Don't just settle for the first time they rush to the decoys. I remember seeing a um, old school duck commander video where they were hunting this hole and they had a flock of like 50 and that, that, those birds skimmed the edge of the decoys two different times. And then finally on the third time they came in and settled. So that's one of the biggest mistakes I see teal hunters doing is not giving these birds a chance to get close. A blue wing teal at 40 yards going full speed is not the easiest target in the world, but a blue wing teal with its feet down skidding into the decoys is an extremely easy target. So certainly keep that in mind that that wasn't on any of our outline notes but just Just passionate thoughts i guess a little nugget of truth Mm -hmm. your bonus tip for the night (laughs) bonus tip for the night so our season outlook is i think fantastic much much better than last year last year nebraska habitat was the best it could possibly be especially in the central of the state and the kansas habitat was really on the poor end of of the spectrum and so the birds got into Nebraska and they didn't want to come out. And, and so we had a really, really poor blue wing teal season last year. And so I fully anticipate this season getting back to normal with the habitat we've got and the bird numbers we're already seeing. I think it's going to be another just phenomenal blue wing teal season um, in the central flyway. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, in, in the Mississippi flyway, we really just don't have a ton anywhere. It's nothing like the central flyway. Um, but I, I will agree that habitat does look good just across, um, from, from what I've seen and what I've heard from people all the way up to the, the top of Michigan, you know, down. So, um, it, it's definitely going to be, be, uh, you know, interesting to see how it goes. Yeah. I wonder, I, I've always taken the Central Flyway teal season for granted, especially Kansas, Nebraska. And I wonder where in where in the country is would be considered the best teal spots. Like I just I don't I'm not even sure. I would love to see a map of like September harvest numbers and where what areas even have teal season, what their harvest numbers are. And I cannot when it's really good here. I can't fathom being better than this. Yeah. Um, no, I 100% I, agree with you on that. It's just when you when you kind of look at it, it, it is a central flyway thing. They don't have it on the Pacific flyway. East coast, it's more of a on the coast type of thing as far as their flyway. Uh, Mississippi flyway, it, it, it's the, the better it is, the closer you get to the central flyway. So, um, you know, there's, there's flyways everywhere, though, as far as um, – you know, big bodies of water through the, the Mississippi flyway that I can think of. I'm not going to name where they hold more birds. Um, but if you're not really in a really, really good flyway for waterfowl, you're not going to have till. And then even then it's like you got a couple weeks and then they all get shot out. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas like I've seen years where you guys just shoot them for like seven or eight hunts a month. in a row. <laughs> yeah. Even, even there's times where, the opener in mid-October, we shoot all teal. That's a li- normally a little. In fact, this la- last year we didn't limit, but we were shooting all teal. It's just a few more green wings than it is blue wings. But even to mid-October, early mid-October, we're still 
knocking on the teal really good. And by that time, we're really hoping for pintails and gadwalls and, and, you know, but it's a fun game. It's a fun game. And if you have, if you've never experienced, um, if your teal hunting is just, Hey, I hope a couple flocks come in and you've never experienced birds flying around or right over your head, like stimulus overload with teal. Cause you can get to a point where it's stimulus overload where you've got to calm people down because you know, it's like when it, when it gets like that, where it's like, I just saw a video Josh had posted. It's like a four man, 18 minute teal limit. And I know what those hunts are like. And and if you've never experienced one, it's awesome. Uh, but it, it's teal flying everywhere and people out in the decoys shooting teal. It's chaos. It's absolute chaos. Wait, and if posted. you've never experienced, uh, oh, I just, I, I saw an old video of Josh's, oh. um, I was on his channel today and like one came up and it was one from last year that okay, I had watched. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but it, it's, it's extreme chaos. But if you've never experienced that, I would say, you know, find a spot in the central flyware somewhere and, and go and experience it. And it's not that way every single time and every single year, it wasn't that way for our hunts last year at all. But when you get in that type of situation, it is a, it's a sight to see. It really is. Do you want to let people know where the best spots in Kansas are to go? <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. If you want to go to the deep, deep southern western part of the state, right on the tip of Oklahoma, that's pretty much where you want to be. <laughs> Is that like the opposite <laughs> of what you really? Want? I've never, I've never even been to that part of the state. Yeah, there's plenty, but there's plenty of good teal spots in Kansas. There's not just like one teal spot, but there are certainly sections of the state that are better than others. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, um, but I'm I'm not going to get any more specific than that. But there's <laughs> lots of places where you can shoot teal in Kansas. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, um, kind of talking about you want to talk about the migration pattern. Yeah, um, and you know I did not even know this until I don't remember who was it that was talking about the migration and how males come through first. Was that John uh, Devney? Maybe yeah, I, be- I believe it was John Devney. Yeah, and he talked yeah. a little bit about. Um, uh, they migrate more on as far as ducks go that they are mm-hmm. more related to the photo pattern um, mm-hmm. or the photo photo period. I mean, uh, on that. So pretty much that just means how bright it is all day. So some type of like internal calendar where they know when the, the time that it's bright, like when the, the daylight is a certain amount of time that they need to start heading south, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. It is. Is it? Yeah. There's a specific. It's photo something. It's photo period. That, yeah. It's photo period. Is it just photo period? I thought it was yeah. that. And they've done so. They've yeah. Done studies with uh with white-tailed deer as well. I, I think that's super interesting how it works with animals. Um, mm-hmm. where with the rut, um, uh, with the with the rut that it kicks off and it's based largely off of photo period as well. Um, and, which and, is how know, much daylight there is in a given day. Yeah. That's a way better way of saying saying it mm-hmm. than I said. So, <laughs> um, yeah. but you know, a lot of times we look for weather patterns, and, and they do play into it. You know, you, you can get a little push uh, with weather, but also, I mean, the time of year is a as a, a huge part of it as well, and more so for teal. Yeah, and but you're still looking for those north wind days um, because now I they will birds will sometimes migrate on south winds or no wind, but this time of year. Anytime you get a little north wind, you're going to get you're going to get new birds. And so we already, in fact, the first 
teal sightings I was hearing about were about three weeks ago here in Kansas. And at that time, that's going to be 100% males to where the males get done. You know, the women are bringing up the babies and the males just go, they take off. So, and those are the birds I would assume that most everything shot on the opener in Texas and Louisiana in that area is probably more males. And then trickling back behind them are going to be the females and, and the yearlings. And so right now the birds I was seeing this past week are, are pro- probably, probably those males. So, but any, and, and just like Jordan said, um, I used to just call it that they, they migrate on a calendar, but, and I, I didn't even put two and two together until I heard other people talking about it. Well, yeah, it's calendar, but the, the, it's really that time of light during the day as the light, as the number of daylight hours shrink, it triggers something and they go males go first and so on. But I still love to look for those North wind days. Cause any North wind day is going to blow in some new birds. And we've got some North wind, North wind um, days coming up. In fact, we've got a nice cold front. It's going to be really interesting because this is a really significant cold front that's coming up. Um, we're up in the Dakotas. It's going to be in the low forties. And so I, it's so early. I don't know how, much that will push the migration of head. Maybe, I don't know, some of those yearlings maybe aren't quite ready yet. I don't know. I, I can't imagine. They're not going to be all bias. I would, that, that's certainly not going to happen, I wouldn't think. Um, but it's it's going to be either it'll seem normal or maybe we'll even have more birds than normal just based on things pushing out pushing out of the Dakotas. Yeah. Definitely, uh, you know, definitely. It feels like last year we had this a little bit too, but definitely good to see the weather temperatures going down. I know this week... Um, I was looking at the forecast and it's like all upper nineties. I'm like, please, I do not want to be dove hunting in 90 degree weather. <laughs> When's that front coming in up there? It's coming, it's coming in right at, at the weekend. So, um, I think Friday, Friday's our, our last really hot day. And then it's dropping, it's dropping to mid seventies, which isn't super cool. Like I'd like to see it like upper sixties, but mm-hmm. you know, give it a few more weeks probably. Well, for us though, as far as teal hunting, there's been a few times we hunt till 10:30 teal hunting, but normally we're done by nine. And a lot of times the movement's done by nine. If, if if you don't have if you don't have an area that's completely inundated with teal, if you just have average numbers, there's times in which it's like you better kill them in the first hour, or sometimes even in the first half hour, or it's just over with. In fact, um, one of the really good hunts we had last year that was a surprise. It's like we killed all our birds in the first 45 minutes and then, you know, it just shut down and Aiden needed one more bird. And we waited like an hour and a half to get that one more bird. So when it's going to be a 75 or even an 80, what, what I look for is what are those nighttime temperatures? Like right now I'm looking at the opener and it's looking really good. So I'm looking at it right now, Friday night, it's going to be 61 and then Saturday, the high of 75. So it won't hit that high of 75 until two, three, four o'clock. So we're going to be hunting in about 61 to 70 degree temperature, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. Do you know, Jordan, what temperature, this is a little quiz for you. What temperature do the mosquitoes stop being an issue? Um, I would, I would think it's probably about 48 degrees. It's actually much higher than that. Um, if you start getting down to low sixties in the night and especially high fifties, they, they, they really shut down significantly. Once you get up above 65, um, especially if you hit 70, if you get a, if you get a bright sunny day, 
with no wind and you hit six, you know, starts hitting 65, you'll, you'll start feeling them, but you get any breeze at all and below 60, you get that 58 to 65 range. They really are not much of an issue. They, they go away really a lot um, more readily than people think with the temperature. So with our opener, we probably won't feel the teal that, that much. Um, mm. So then we've got high of 75 on the Saturday, oh. low of 63, and high of 77 on the you Sunday. You said you won't so not... you won't feel the till very much, but you meant the oh. mosquitoes. <laughs> mosquitoes. Yeah. Mosquitoes. Yeah. yeah. But I'm lucky. They don't like my blood type. So people say bring a thermocell. I say bring Golden Boy because, man, the mosquitoes eat up that little sucker like he's candy. They're, they're attracted to a certain type of blood type more so than others. So if you're with a guy that that, like Aiden, that has that right blood type, they will pretty much leave you alone. Oh. And just suck on that other people, those other people. So, is there studies that show that? I've never researched it, but I can tell you. I, I think actually, I, I did look it up and did find out what the blood type was on it. So, I did look it up one time. We had a night where it was Golden Boy, Dan, and and Nevin and I. And there's this video that's from season three, hunt number two, season three. And we camped out in the woods. And that night, Nevin and I didn't get touched by mosquitoes. And Dan and Aiden were so miserable from mosquitoes, they talked and contemplated about going to the truck. And that was going to be like a boat ride to the truck. And we woke up and was like, man, the mosquitoes didn't bother us at all. So that that's what kind of started that whole conversation. And someone had told me that. And I did look it up. And I can't remember what the blood type was um, that they like so much better. I mean, they will bite me, <laughs> but not like... Not like other people, yeah. not like with that certain blood type. I'm sure if you're wrong, somebody in the fellowship will link an article or something. But uh, yeah, it, well, I definitely feel like there is something to that. And I don't know exactly what it is because I haven't looked at any articles or anything like that. But it's just so weird. The mosquitoes can tell people's blood type. That's mind boggling. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking it up real quick. I can tell you from firsthand experience. Yeah, I was right. Typo. One study found that in a controlled setting, mosquitoes landed on people with type O blood nearly twice as often as those with type A. People with type B blood fell somewhere in the middle. So I would be willing to bet you that Aiden is type O and I'm type A. Hmm. I bet. I bet. And I've seen it time and time again where he comes out of some place just with bug bites all over him and I, and I don't have any. So it's just. It's just factual. Now I'm a lot hairier than he is, so maybe that's a problem too. They're having to, you know, maybe. But yeah, typo is what it's saying. Yeah. But you still want to have a therm. I've never had a thermocell, so what I get is um, as high a DEET content, D E E T, as possible, because that is the best for dealing with mosquitoes. Is high DEET content. Nice. All right, so let's let's go move towards towards the hunting a little bit more. And, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about, um, how you're picking your spot when, when you're, uh, going into a till hunt. Well, the way here's how my dad and I went through this process when we went out scouting last Saturday, which is going to be our opening day pool. Um, we scouted the one area that we really felt like we had the least amount of experience in, but we liked it was a lot better habitat than normal. It's a big pool and we hadn't hunted it that much. So we focused on hunt on scouting that one particular hole. And as we went through it, we had our kayaks and in this hole, there's lots of cattails. There's lots of smart weeds. So we were finding little holes here and there. 
And so I had out my phone and I was just pinning these places and labeling them. Teal, teal spot number one, teal spot number two, teal spot number three. Um, and one thing when I'm scouting on public land that I do constantly is when I'm thinking about a spot, I think about, okay, how, how big a chance is it that this spot will be so inundated with hunters that either they'll come in and crowd me or I'll feel they'll just be set up all around and just like, even if they're not crowded, if you have, let's say everyone's setting 200 yards apart, but you've got 15 groups, that's like a gauntlet for ducks to get through. So once you know, if you can get an idea of what their flight line is going to be and teal like flying channels more than any other duck that there is, if you have a little channel of water, they love flying channels. Um, so if you can figure out where you think their flight line is going to be, then it becomes, then it becomes, um, all right. Now, how many other people do I think is going to get on that flight line, get away from that flight line. And so in our minds, it's not just where are the teal going to be. It's, it's how might other people affect this situation, um, for, for us. And so I, I'm typically looking for places that are at least a mile walk in and that, are not, if there's boat access, there's not boat access from multiple directions, maybe just one direction. All of that goes into what is the pressure going to be like at this hole? So then after we gathered all our, all our data on that Saturday, we came up with, okay, what are all of our possibilities to where we might want to hunt based on previous years? Because for us, we can't scout the day before. If we could scout the day before, we wouldn't even worry about it until then. But the fact we can't scout the day before, it's okay. We listed every place we might want to hunt on the opener based on limits, isolation, and then we just rank them. And I said, what's your number one pick? What's my number one pick? And it just becomes, uh, okay, this is our number one pick. If we can't get this, then we'll take the second one. If someone's there, then we'll take the third. We'll take the fourth. And we try we try to set up with about five realistic possibilities of where we want to set up on the opener. And then sometimes we get the number one. Sometimes I think the lowest we've ever had to take is number three, but you, you just never know. So you want as many spots as possible that you're be, that you're willing to take. And one really good reason for this is if you don't have lots of backup spots and you go to the place you want to hunt and there's people there, now you have a decision. Am I going to, especially if you're walking into it, am I going to just try to find a spot? Or am I going to back out and go to a different place? If you don't have a plan B or a plan C, it makes it a lot harder to make that right decision. The right decision is you don't go and crowd people. That's the right decision. And so if you have spot B, C, D in your mind, then you say, okay, well, let's not crowd them. Let's go check the other spot. Oh, that one's taken. Let's check the other spot. You just go down your progression list. Mm -hmm. Because I truly, I truly believe a lot of times when people overcrowd, it's because they don't know what else to do. You know, they walked a half a mile in here. And there's no spot. Well, I guess, I don't know. I guess we're just going to have to set up. I think that's a huge reason why people do that. It's just, it's a lack of pre-planning really. Yeah. It's just honestly, uh, um, it's honestly impressive the amount of thought you put into it, but it's a totally different game as well. Kind of, you know, for us compared to central flyway, um, Mm -hmm. there's just not nearly as much competition early season, um, as later in the season, uh, for us, but it, you know, it is, it, it, and also, you know, you guys do all the public. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that definitely changes, changes it up a lot too. So, um, definitely kudos to you though, cause you guys put a lot of work and effort into figuring out 
exactly where you want to go before you actually get to the hunt. Yeah, because and honestly, to put you don't have to put that much work and thought into you know kind of you know big duck season. You know, uh, yeah. I guess after the opener, right? Right. Yeah. Not not near this much openers. Now we always. I mean, I am completely obsessive about duck hunting, and so I will think a lot about where we're going to hunt, how we're going to set up, but not not to this level because I don't. I do not. Well, I was going to say I do not like openers, which that's not necessarily true. I do not like how many people there are on openers. There's lots of people that only go out for openers and that's all they do. Or maybe they hunt one or two other times. Everyone who duck hunts pretty much goes out on the opener. So it's stressful. And there's times in which, um, even on like the big duck up opener in my area, I try to avoid it like crazy because even every hole that I think is a hidden hole that I might go all season and not see other people on the opener, you might see three groups. And so it destroys your even idea of how isolated these places are. It's just like everyone's crawling behind every tree. And I hate that. I can't stand it. So for the big duck opener around here, I typically go and go somewhere else because it's just, it's too stressful. It's, but with teal hunting, it's a little, it's a little different game. Um, and, and honestly, we, we probably put too much thought into it because there's, this place, these places out here when there's teal here are so good. Everyone's pretty much limiting out. So then the obsessive game really becomes, okay, we know we're probably going to shoot a bunch of ducks. Where can we do it and have the most enjoyment without stressing out by people being too close to us or, you know, because we're selfish, really. We want the whole marsh to ourselves. Everyone does. When you duck hunt, the ideal situation is you're shooting a limited ducks and you can't even see another human being. That's, that's everyone's ideal hunt, right? Yep. So we're going to try to get as close to that as we possibly can. But on the opener, the chances are you're not going to get that. But at least if you can get 200 yards from everybody, that's definitely a start. That's kind of, I think, the, the minimum zone you want to be at. So it takes a lot of thought on the opener. And it's just fun to think about. That It's just fun to think about duck hunting when you're as eaten up with it as you and I are. It's just, it's mm-hmm. fun mental space. It's fun mental space. Yep, for sure. Um, so ne- next, uh, let's, let's jump to, um, chokes and shells. So it probably goes without saying on this one, but, um, you shoot the extended full with, uh, number sevens for till, right? No, I shoot the extended full with BBBs because my theory is I'm either going to destroy it, not be able to eat it, or I'm going to miss it. There you go. If you, I mean, you can, <laughs> if you shot T shot, you probably, uh, Shoot your whole limit in one shot, <laughs> one and have nothing two. to have nothing to eat when when you're done with it. I have not decided which choke I'm going to use this year. Um, I've got in my possession some Boss sixes, and I have Federal fours, which Boss is Bismuth, and Federal is Steel. If I go, if I shoot the Federals, I'm probably I'm thinking about going to an improved because, man, typically we just don't shoot teal outside of 30. I mean, we shoot a huge portion of our teal between 15 and, and 25. And you, and you mean improved cylinder because mm-hmm. every gun I've bought doesn't, it comes with imp- uh, modified, improved, modified and full. You, you always say improved, but you mean improved cylinder. Yeah. Yeah. I, in fact, I, I, mine is just, mine have always come with improved, modified and full. I've never had a hybrid improved modified choke. I would love to have one because I would probably, I would definitely go to that last year when I shot boss, I shot, um, 
um, a modified choke and I shot 52%, um, which honestly for teal season is below where I want to be. If we're shooting, if you're, if you're shooting teal coasting in the decoys at 15 to 20 yards, you, and you're careful with your shot selection, you should shoot in the sixties, if not 70, just because the shots are so easy at that shot selection. But I, I shot a, you know what, maybe I should just go to modified. I know two years ago, two years ago when I was shooting those federal four steel, I shot modified and I really, really liked it. And so did Aiden. In fact, Aiden shot modified most of waterfowl season last year. And for some reason, I'm just a little bit nervous to shoot an improved clear into big duck season. But if you watch Aiden's videos, if you have not seen his YouTube channel, it's cherry Creek outdoors. I think it's the most underrated waterfowl channel on there. There's something about his videos. I am just in love with, of course it's grown pretty quickly. I'd say for his the level he's been out, but he shoots ducks close. He, he shoots ducks close and he shot a modified or a improved almost most all of last season. And he shot over 150 um, ducks. And I don't know how many Mallard Drakes he shot a ton of Mallard Drakes and he was crushing them with an improved cylinder. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he didn't, uh, you know, take after you with that full choke stuff. So, mm. <laughs> Elliot, we have to we have to take a brief hiatus <laughs> from the teal talk. Do you hate when I say full choke outdoors? <laughs> I don't hate it. I'll tell you what I don't care for is when the joke goes outside of the podcast and it starts getting posted around and it's out of context and people don't have the context to understand it. Then I don't I don't really care for it at that point. I mean, if, has that, if it's has that happened, yeah, some some. <laughs> little bit. And so I, I don't want that to like, um, cause everyone that watched the podcast knows it's a joke. Cause I never shoot full chokes, but if, if it gets outside of the podcast and it just becomes thing, people going around, then people's first exposure to me, they don't have the context for it. Really. It's like telling an inside joke outside of the people that know the inside joke. It's like, well, now it's no longer inside joke and people don't know what you're talking about. So yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can't say that you've done that a bunch, but it has happened a few times. <laughs> yeah, I take full responsibility, and I won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, have you ever been around people that tell inside jokes? You know what well, they're talking about? It's like, yeah, no, I, I hear you. Stop, stop. I, it's like I two have, people, there's ten people, there and two people understand your joke. Quit. Yeah, no, I, and I have seen it because uh, um, people commented a lot. People commented a lot um, on like my videos or whatever. Um, about how you would shoot it. Like sometimes I don't even think of it and they make the joke, um, which is the inside joke, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and we see it, we see it in the fellowship and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you work really hard. You have good shot selection and, and that's something you, you pride yourself on is shooting birds close. Um, but the joke was cause you're so anti fool that I just started saying, it's kind of, yeah. and whenever it starts getting like legs of its own where I don't make the joke and other people start making the joke, that's when I'm like, Oh crap, people are going to like, where's this going to go? What <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's really, really not that I'm anti full choke. It's, and I've talked about this before. The thing is, is that people in all facets of life, they get talking points. They start kicking around, right? So what is the talking point that, that is everyone is without even thinking, kicking around about full chokes? What is the saying? Skybusters. Why do people use full chokes? Why are, why do people use full chokes? What does everyone say now? Yeah, skybusters. No, no, no. They say that 
if I'm going to kill him, I want to kill him dead. If I'm going to miss him, I want to miss him clean. And they're implying that full chokes, you're going to have less wounded and lost birds than with a modified choke. How many guests have we had on here that have made that statement as to why they use a full choke? I bet you six or seven of them have said that same thing. Right? Yeah. And so this is a talking point that's starting to flood around the waterfowl community. And I know damn well that I, with the proper shot selection, you aren't going to lose any birds with a modified. It's not like the implication of that is, oh, if you use a modified, you're going to lose more birds than a full choke. So I better get a really tight pattern so that when I hit that bird, I kill it dead. And that only applies if you're shooting birds farther than a modified choke is properly patterned to kill a bird lethally. If you look at, if you pat, now you're always going to have flyers and maybe you're going to have a few more flyers with modified, but with every single pattern, you're going to have a a few flyers that go outside the circle. But the way these patterns work, okay, if you're shooting the right choke at the right distance and you have maximum pellets within that circle without holes in it and you're shooting at the right range, you're not going to have lots of wounded birds. It, it's, it's designed that way. So to say that I shoot, I want to shoot a bird at 15 yards with a full because I don't want to wound it and lose it is so far out of my experience zone of what I have seen in the field is that I don't, I, I just, I don't think that that argument holds water to me inside of it at close range, at close range. If you want to shoot birds between 40 and 50 yards and you want a better chance of lethally killing birds at that range, then use a full choke. If you want to kill birds from 35 yards in, a full choke is not your best choke. It's not. It's not designed to kill birds as efficiently in that zone. So if people want to use a full choke, that's fine. I just wish that their reasoning was, well, you know what? Sometimes I like to shoot between 40 and 50 yards, and this is a more lethal lethal um, choke at that range, so that's why I use it. And so wouldn't that it, whole saying that that just kind of gets under my skin a little bit. Wouldn't it be 35? You said 30, 35 in, so it would be 35 out, right? Well, specifically, if you look, if you look at the charts, okay, let me, let me pull them up real quick. And this is, you can see them all over the place. And I know you're going to say, well, the person that made them, whatever, whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily buy that. <laughs> um, so an improved, all right. A, this one only has a modified choke maxes out just over 40. And so a, an ideal range for a modified choke is about 26 yards to about 43 yards. That's ideal. An ideal range for a modified, or I'm sorry, for an improved is 15 to 33. This is why I'm scared to use an improved choke because I do sometimes take birds between 30 and 40. If between 30 and 40 yards is not that far. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people misjudge distance. In fact, I did, I did this test with Aiden. We were out hunting. I said, how far do you think that is away? It was across this ice hole. And he said, oh, I think that's about 40 yards. I bet, I bet you, I bet you anything that's about 55 yards. And he didn't believe me. And we stepped it off and it was about 55 yards. I think a lot of times what people call 40 is really 50. I think a lot of times that's the case. You and I had that same argument on a hunt last year. One time um, that you were telling me that what I thought 50 was, was 40. 
Um, so I think a lot of people misjudge their range. So a full choke, let me try to find a better thing for a full choke. A full choke is at its maximum potential between 45 and 55 yards. That is that choke is designed to more efficiently kill birds at that at that range at that range. A modified is between 25 and 45. So if someone's going to tell me they're using a full choke because it's better for birds under 35 yards, they're just wrong. That's just not true. We've the, the research says that's not true. And so I just get a little bit, it's just in, in waterfowl hunting and everything, talking points just start floating around and people start repeating stuff. And it's like, it's like if you've ever been talking politics with someone that watches Fox news, you can tell they watch Fox news because everyone that you talk to that watch Fox news says the same thing about the same topic or CNN or MSNBC. It's the same thing. If they're a Democrat and you ask them about a particular um, political topic, they're going to say about the same three or four exact things because these talking points just roll around. So, so what that's you're trying the to thing. say is that people who shoot full chokes are Democrats. <laughs> what I'm saying is that I think that saying I shoot a full choke because I want to better efficiently kill birds within 30 yards are completely incorrect. I think they're scientifically and mathematically incorrect is what I'm saying. And so that shouldn't be, if you, if you want to use a full choke, use a full choke, but just understand that your maximum, you're going to maximize that choke between 45 and 55. You're not maximizing that choke under 45. Now, some people will say, well, I'm just such a good shot. That's fine. If you want to shoot a full choke in that close and you don't lose a lot of birds, that's fine too. I'm not against people using full chokes. I'm against people shooting over 50 yards, but I'm not against people using full chokes. I'm against people telling me that the average person is better off to shoot a full choke under 30 yards because it's just, that's just factually false. So the only, I guess the only thing that I would, I would argue on that because you know a lot of that makes sense as far as mathematically and all that but like let's say a bird at like 35 yards i mean isn't more pellets hitting the bird better than less and because we all know we have uh cripples and and Mm -hmm. uh i mean it's just part of hunting there is cripples um you know a lot of times they go down and you have to you work on the bird but isn't more pellets you know, obviously one to the head, yeah, that's all it takes, but that just doesn't happen all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a higher pattern density. You're going to have, you know, more pellets hitting the bird, more chance that one of those is going to hit the bird and, um, you know, more chance that it's just going to bring the bird down lethally. So and I think that's a lot of what people's argument is with the full choke. So maybe even at 30 yards, it's going to be more pellets hitting it, but I don't know where that mathematical number is and you're I guess from what you're saying from those numbers that at at um at forty yards but I've patterned I patterned a gun um with a full choke and at forty you know forty yards your pattern is much bigger than a bird so you have less pattern density right so it's mm-hmm. it's really kind of a weird thing to say as far as like what the actual maximum potential is when you say 45 to 50 yards well why is that the maximum potential because it gives you the correct amount of room for air i mean there's just so many things that go into it right well it goes to holes in your pattern when when your pattern is no longer effective and and you pattern your gun you'll go out there in your circle and you'll see holes 
big holes in the circle. And that's when you know it's too far. And every gun is different with every shell. So you may have one gun in one shell that patterns really well at 45 and another gun, or you change, you know, you, you change a different shell in there. Maybe it doesn't pattern quite as well at 45. So, and I'm, so, and I'm not, and I'm not any kind of patterning expert. I'm, I'm not, uh, but I know, I know that it's, you know, these are, these are averages based on guns and loads because every, every gun so kinda, and every load's a little different. Kind of to hit on what you're saying there. So there won't be any holes if you shoot your gun out to 50 to 50 yards with 45 to 50 yards with a full choke. There won't be any holes in your pattern. So there won't be any holes in your pattern at 35. So it's like, um, you know, at some point your pattern with a full choke is like the size of a Frisbee. So like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like whether that's yeah, it like 33 reducing yards in size. or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. And most people, I don't know. So yeah, there's just a lot that goes into it. And definitely... Well, I- I understand what you're saying about that, but the thing is, we don't know. I don't know how many, how many pellets it takes to actually kill a bird, but with a proper pattern, if you get the bird inside of that circle, the birds, the bird's going to die. And I, and I will tell you from experience that with the biggest problem is shot selection. The, the number one problem with losing birds is shot selection. And if you're, if you're, so, if you don't want to lose birds, focus on your shot selection. Cause I can tell you with a conservative shot selection, you won't lose hardly any birds. You just won't. So losing birds is, you know, if someone were to say, you know what, uh, and what they really mean is I kind of struggle in my shot selection a little bit and, um, Sometimes I take shots I probably shouldn't take, which we're all guilty of some. I'm not, I'm not perfect in that. And that with a full choke, it just makes me feel a little better because I know my pattern is, is tighter. And, and when I use a modified, I tend to lose more birds that way. That's a, that's a perfectly fine argument. Uh, that's a perfectly acceptable argument. Yeah. I just recoil against saying that if I'm shooting all birds inside of 30 yards, <clears throat> a full choke's better because I just, completely think that that's totally false. And I know if you are only shooting birds within 30 yards, you're not hardly losing any birds. Yeah. No, if, if it's you're just, shooting, it's not an issue. If you're shooting within 30 yards, like I want to, I would definitely give you that for sure. And, and just by the way, to the listeners, we're neither, we're not arguing on this. We're just talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I just want to make it sure. Cause we're both kind of going back and forth on points and we definitely yeah. got a little off topic, but, um, we're definitely, we're just talking about it, not arguing about it. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm going to ruffle a lot of people's feathers on this one. And, and, and that's okay. I mean, it's, it's, if someone tells me I when when I ask what choke someone uses, I prefer to hear modified because honestly, if I hear them say full choke, I think, well, they, their shot selection is farther than mine. They probably take a few shots they shouldn't take is, and maybe I shouldn't think that thought, but it's the thought I think, um, so I prefer to hear people saying modified, but I know a lot of guys I respect and admire that shoot full chokes and I don't have any problem with their shot selection either about that. So it's not like I'm casting dispersion on people that decide to use full chokes. I just don't like that talking point that's going around as the reason why I think it's not a valid in close, in close range. It's like, well, I like to shoot the birds in close, but if I'm going to shoot them, I want to make sure and kill them. Those things to me are, shouldn't be lined up together. And they often and they have become more and more as we talk to people on the podcast. Yeah. I just I guess I guess where I would fall on a final kind of say on that 
is that it just seems like full choke is a more versatile choke for someone who is a good shooter. Just kind of from that thought. Mm-hmm. So, and if you're not, then, and, and I've definitely struggled with shooting from time to time, and you don't want to full choke in because you're just going to miss. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, especially on, on the close shots. Yeah. And that's a valid point. And, and I will say that I do not consider myself to be an above average shooter at all. The only reason that I shoot so well is my shot selection. Because if I went out and shot like a lot of people I see in the shots, I would struggle. I'm like, if I were to go and hunt with Titus, because I mean, those guys extend their range quite a bit and I would probably struggle in that situation. Although I think I'm getting a little bit better. So I do not consider myself some kind of fantastic shot. I'm, I'm left eye dominant. So I have to shoot with one eye closed. And so, you know, I, I need all the help that, that I can get as far as, um, sharpshooting goes, but, and I, I do understand your point about, you know, if you're an excellent shot, you know, that makes sense. Yep. All right. Let's, uh, let's get back on the tilt talk. So you <laughs> wow. That was a long <laughs> off topic rant. You could tell I was feeling it tonight and you just let yeah. me go. That's all right. No, I, yeah, I think it was a good conversation. So, um, uh, but yeah, let's, let's jump back over to, um, our kind of outline. Um, and I don't think we actually even talked about it, but shells and chokes, mm-hmm. all that. I guess we, we talked about it enough. So I think we talked about chokes. Yeah, I think we did. So, yeah. Um, let's go ahead and hit up uh, the decoys. Mm-hmm. Well, I use more than decoys than I need, I'm sure. But I like four dozen teal decoys. Um, in the marshes that we're hunting, we have a lot of teal. And just like in that video, there's a lot of them. So I want to always simulate what I think is there. And when I see groups sitting in some of these little, little marshes, it's not just a couple dozen. So if I think then it's oftentimes more than four dozen, but I just like, I like four dozen. I like the green head gear. Um, I don't know whether they're called hen packs or fall plumage, but they don't have any spring colors on them. Does it make a difference? Well, maybe over the course of time, you shoot a few more birds. Maybe you don't, but I just, I want to match what I see out there. And I see teal without spring colors on them is what I see. So I want to match that. And a lot of, and I, I go against the grain with public opinion on this. I don't want to use mallard hen decoys, even though I'm sure you could do just fine with them. I just want to match what I see. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm a little bit different. I do try to stay all brown, um, but I've used, uh, I've used some hen decoys to kind of fill in. Um, just because I don't have near as many decoys as you. Um, and my thought on it, it just seems like uh, if Magnum Mallards work, then why wouldn't Magnum Till work? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just yeah, my thought on it. And I definitely yeah. try not to put in the plumage. Um, but we just had Matt Farmer on uh, last week's podcast, and he was saying that he doesn't think it makes a big difference. So like you said, it, yeah. there's a wide variety of opinions on it. Um, mm-hmm. And he's the first one I've heard that says pretty much, like he said, like you could shoot him over coots, which I'm sure – Matt, when he listens to that, will be like <laughs> jumping with joy. But, um, <laughs> you know, that there, there yeah. we go. We need to tell Matt and he can make a, a coot, a coot decoy till hunt video. I'd, I'd actually, I would actually love to see that. So, um, yeah. but yeah, let's, um, oh, did you want to talk about placement a little bit? Well, and yeah, and one more thing about that is like some of these things when all we're gauging is on his perception. Because if I'm hunting with, let's say, coot decoys, or hen mallards, and I shoot my limit. You don't know 
if you had teal decoys, if they had been five yards closer, 10 yards closer, you don't know. The answer is probably not, but you really, you don't know if maybe over the course of five years, you shoot 10 more birds, or maybe you shoot a little higher consistency of birds that actually finish. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would tend to say, cause all these teal that you're hunting in early season, especially have never, so many of them are yearlings and so many of them are stupid that it probably wouldn't make a difference, but it's just, it's too hard to know for a fact that it wouldn't make any difference at all. Yeah. And those little teal decoys are really small and light. I mean, you know, for two dozen mallard hen decoys, you could get in four dozen teal decoys. I mean, they're just small and light and easy to move around. But as far as placement goes, I like to have some in open water and some back in feeding, like they've landed in the open water and swam back into the feeding and just make sure you have an open hole in front of you and and you're good to go. Yep. And I, I really don't have a lot to add to that. I've just... You know, because I, I have I have, don't have near the till experience you do. Um, mm-hmm. I've just put them in little you know little pods here and there, left and right of me, and um, put the spinning wing in there and been good to go. Yeah, most of our teal hunting is shallow, moist soil. Um, sometimes we hunt we hunt mud flats, and I don't know. I've never really thought about the difference. I guess in my mind, I might bunch them a little closer together in mud flats. I don't know, but it really doesn't make that much difference. Just you know, make sure there's a little hole in front of you and and get the spinner out there where they can see it and, and try to see if you can shoot them over the decoys. Yep, for sure. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about calling. Um, you know, there's a, uh, you know, two schools of thoughts on this. A lot of people can um, crank down the, the mallard call, just pinch it real tight. And uh, it, as far as the airflow, make it a little bit more high pitch and, and go with the till call on that. And I think we're both on the same boat here. Um, we like the the teal calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the teal calls. It makes a really good difference. And my favorite is that polk pattern call. You can get the $20 Duck Commander teal call, which is a good call. It's got a reed. But polk pattern calls sells these little ones. They don't even have a reed. I don't even know. It's like a little metal insert. I think it sounds more realistic, like an actual teal um, than anything else. And I would say do yourself a favor if you've never done much teal calling. Look up on the internet. Uh, I know Cornell um, has really good audio files of what teal sound like, and it's very easy to mimic. But it's really nice to hear recording of of real teal before you go about doing it. Just I wouldn't go off just hearing people make call on YouTube because I heard the Duck Commander guys um, did a teal teal call, and they did they did a variation. I need to go back and listen to it again because I was last year I was trying to incorporate a few because everyone does the ba 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 ba. But there's there's two or three other little patterns that teal will make. Sometimes teal will go ba 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 ba. Um, you'll hear that, and then there's a lot of just some single stuff. So there are there's more than just that one cadence that you can mix into it. Although that's the, the cadence that I seem to always fall back on, but I need to go back and study up and again, cause there are more cadences other than just that one that everyone used. And if you get a couple callers, it's, it's nice to kind of mix them, mix them in together. Uh, definitely for sure on that. And and the other one, the, the one other thing um, for till calling dimension is the till whistle. Yeah. You know, I think, and I would love to hear correct people quick. I know that teal will peep. But I don't think – I mean, blue-winged teal will peep, but I don't think they peep in flight the way that green-winged teal peep. 
Um, and I, and I think there's a little bit of a different, I tend to do a lot more peeping with green wings than blue wings. And from, from, I need to, I need to look it up and do a little more research, research on it. But from what I hear in the field, I much more often hear the green wings making that peep than anything else. And, uh, so I, I tend to not use the teal peep hardly at all. The, the peeping stuff from the pintail whistle, now I will use it for the widgeon, um, but I just have never felt like that they're near as successful as like a cadenced quack. So with that, bam, 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 you can actually get blue wing teal to, I mean, you can hit them and turn them on a dime with that. Not all the time, but just like a mallard, you know, you hit a mallard when it's going away. And sometimes it's like they're on a rope and you can just turn them back around. You can do the same thing with a blue wing teal with that, with that cadence. And I have never seen a duck get pulled around. Like it's on, on a, on a rope with any kind of whistle or, or peeping. So I, I tend to stay away from, stay away from that for the most part, unless maybe if you're, if I'm bluing, if there's all blue wings and all of a sudden I see a pack of green wing, I might try something different and hit that, but not, not, not necessarily typically won't. Alrighty. And then your favorite topic, probably uh, spinners. So uh, most people probably run what a dozen, half dozen <laughs> people are more and more people are running, uh, running more during teal season. We have one or two at the most. That's pretty much standard for us. Um, all year is one or two. We don't, we don't send to go above that, but teal love spinners. They love them. But the thing, and I've got video evidence of this, just because you have a spinner, it attracts the teal, but that doesn't mean it's going to land the teal. And I had a video, I had a hunt two years ago where I had the GoPro set up right behind and these birds did not want to be in this area, but teal after teal kept getting sucked into the spinner, but then banking off and it was really hard shooting. So Yes, definitely teal like spinners and teal will suck into spinners. That doesn't mean that they're going to land even if they're reacted to it. So I I think that yes, spinners are really beneficial for teal, but when you're talking about feet down shots, it's not just like put up some spinners and now all of a sudden you're shooting them feet down over, over the spinners. That's not, that's not how it works all the time. Yep. So kind of to add on that, and that's kind of our our last topic to hit on this, but uh, the hide um, is really that key factor because just because you get them there doesn't mean they're going to finish. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they might be dumb birds, but it's still, I mean, you definitely don't need as good of hide as big duck season, um, Mm -hmm. but you definitely still need, you you can't be standing out in the open. Yeah. There are some days we try to get a decent hide, but then some hunts as it progresses, you're just like, man. These teal, I can still, I could stand around the decoys and they would come and land. You can just tell. And so our hide will get a little sloppier as the time goes out. There was a hunt I was on with Nevin, uh, two of my sons and my dad and I, and we all shot our limit and everything. And we were starting out kind of huddled back on these fence posts, man. By the time the hunt was over, it's like, we were just sitting straight out in the open on buckets. It just at that spot on that day, it just did not matter at all. But you certainly want to start out assuming that it's going to matter and you know, Jordan, I noticed on you normally wear face paint that video that you just put out on wood ducks. And when we have a lot of guys um, that we've had interviewed that says they don't wear face paint or in the and they don't wear a mask. If you watch, because there's four of you sitting in a row, and there's one scene where the camera is looking right down at you guys, and Swamp Man's got face paint on, and the rest of you don't. You need to take a picture of that 
because that is the difference between wearing something on your face and not wearing something on your face. If you've got four, four guys in a blind, it takes, especially for bigger ducks, it takes one guy losing focus and looking up and, and that white is like, boom. And, yeah. and they're gone. I don't understand why anyone would not wear face covering. Um, cause it just takes one little glance up and that white on your face is all that it takes. Yeah. And you'll, you will, I will say though, Swamp Man is like a master of face paint. Um, like I put mine, it looks cool. And I try to like, you know, uh, <laughs> do the job at the same time, yeah. but he literally looks like a, a freaking Navy seal when he puts his arm, his, uh, his face paint on. So <laughs> you didn't have any on, on that video. You didn't have any on. Yeah, but it was just think, a, it was, and you guys didn't need it, but it was just the con. You could see the contrast in that clip of the difference of someone that's where has their face covered and, and three guys didn't. I mean, you could yeah. just totally see the contrasting difference. Yeah. No, we, we definitely needed face paint there. We need a lot of things on that hunt. Um, you know, I'll just touch on it real, real quick since you brought it up, but, uh, we we're hunting on a bog and it was the first time we ever hunted that we couldn't get back in the cover as much as we wanted to because the bog just kept falling apart. Um, and so we we're just kind of stuck there out in the open. It was a really terrible cover. And we should have had face paint, but we were just trying to fix all the issues we're having. And all of a sudden, the birds started flying. So um, we could have shot a lot more birds if it would everything else would have lined up. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I would just say wear something on your face for teal. Yeah, Wear something on your face. You can get a mask. You can get a little face paint. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, definitely. Agree. Why, why not wear it? It's not gonna. It's not going to hurt you to have your face covered. But it yep. can hurt you to not have your face covered, so why not? Yep. What's the downside? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a small step. So mm-hmm. definitely agree agree with you there. Um, but, yeah, I think that's probably going to wrap it up. Any Anything else, Elliot, you really wanted to hit on before we uh, um, close off the teal topic? Nope. I'm, I'm all tealed out, man. Like I said, when we started, um, I, my waterfowl – blood is pumping i am so ready to get out there it's it's coming so close so i i really really enjoyed this you know we talk even the off season every single week and and some 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 episodes it's easier to talk than others because some topics are you know just more naturally bring themselves to get you excited and everything and and with with this teal and talking about this teal it's just what i needed (laughs) i was man i love the topic tonight yeah, definitely. Uh, we're definitely pumped, guys. Um, season is coming in. This is, like we said, this is going to come out on the opener, what I consider the opener of hunting season, uh, September 1st, where around the around the country, everybody's getting into gear, um, whether it's dove or early goose or early till. Um, it's really getting rolling. So we're definitely super excited about that. Um, but yeah, uh, that's all we got for this week, guys. Uh, oh, one, one other thing I wanted to hit on. With that coming up, guys, be looking forward to, we're going to be bringing back some of our Hunt Update podcast, which I know have always been a big hit with you guys. Um, and Elliot and I really love putting those out too. So, <laughs> Alrighty, fellas. I'm Jordan, Ducking Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and we'll see you on the next one. All right, folks, thanks for listening to the episode. Um, we are here at the end, and we're going to go ahead and talk about um, Patreon and Hunt Stats here and got my good buddy Elliot uh per usual with me go ahead Elliot and take it away well you know Jordan and I have teamed up outside of the podcast also we're now um working together on the freelance hunt stat site which you may or not have heard 
that entire podcast we did about it. And it is a place where you can keep all of your hunting data and information and notes and, and track the weather and, and everything. It is a fantastic place. We got lots of plans for it. So if you want to go over and check that out, that is FreelanceHuntStats.com. Also, Jordan and I have teamed up on a Patreon account. I'd had a Patreon account for quite a while and hadn't really been doing that much with it. So we decided we would make it kind of a freelance duck hunting, duck hunt chronicles, duck hunt podcast, Patreon site. And the cool thing is over there right now, you can get a Patreon membership and a freelance hunt stats membership two for one. And so a lot of people have been taking us up on that. And so Patreon, what you get is just a bunch of extra content. Jordan and I just recorded a little Patreon-only podcast that was a really interesting question that a patron had posed to us. And um, Jordan showed a behind-the-scenes of his podcast room at home. So it's just a bunch of extra content you can only get on Patreon. You can bundle that right together with Freelance Hunt Stats and get the two-for-one. So if you're interested, you can go to patreon.com slash Stats. Or if you just want to focus on the Freelance Hunt Stats account, you can go to FreelanceHuntStats.com just for some extra content and helping Jordan and I out because we're taking all of that money that goes into there and we're putting it all into the Freelance Hunt Stats to build something really, really cool that you, I think, we think you'll love. So go check that out. Yeah, people are loving it and we've been seeing a big hit from this already. Um, from our partnership and, and running the Patreon and freelance hunt stats together. Um, so definitely some cool things in the future. Um, I will say that the biggest update that I'm excited for, which we've been working on with a de- developer and hoping to get out as soon as we can, um, is seeing some of the score updates coming to it and having the scoring system. Um, so definitely some cool things in the future. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we got, guys. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you guys on the next one.